So songs can influence us. Like the music, it can put us into a certain mood or the lyrics can hit us at our core based on the life experiences that we are enduring at the moment or what we'd like to happen. Uh, last night, my family got to go and watch Christmas with the Chosen. And I don't know if you've heard of the Chosen at all, but it's a series right now that um, some people have made just to help us see the life and events of Jesus. Uh, and in it, I was going expecting about a two-hour-long movie, but it wasn't. It ended up being about 30 minutes of the actual action, I guess, movie-type thing. But the rest of the hour and a half was a whole bunch of teaching and worship leading up to that. And I thought about how they did that purposefully, putting your heart in the right place so that you could receive the message that was to come. And so now that it's officially Christmas season, it means that you're going to hear Christmas songs. And a few weeks ago, Cameron hosted, not dressed up the way he was today, <laughs> we got to look at that, but like he came out and asked people, are you a Christmas before Thanksgiving type of person, like Christmas music, or are you not? And you could see the tensions rise. Of the people who had the opposite view behind you, well, tensions behind smiles. But I come bringing you good news for all people that Jesus came for all of us. And so he loves you no matter what your viewpoint is, even if you're wrong, even if you're one of those Christmas music before Thanksgiving people. But this last week at our staff meeting, we were given Christmas song titles that we had to figure out. The song titles were right in front of us, but the words had been changed. And so we had to use your language skills and logic skills to discern what the answer was. What is the song title? And so an example that was given to us was Hushed Darkness. Hush Darkness, that's some kind of song title. It's a Christmas song. And so the answer is Silent Night. Some of you are like, oh, I got that one. Good, that was an easier one. There was also one about like Royal Eastern Trio, you know, We Three Kings. But I'm now going to give you five of them, some of which are easier, a couple that may be a little bit harder, so that you can see how good you are at this thing, okay? If you want, you can work with someone next to you. There's no like prize, just bragging rights, okay? So we're going to see how well you do with these things. So the first one is... Petite Birthplace. Petite Birthplace. What song title is that? We've got a few seconds. Try to figure it out. Petite Birthplace. All right. The answer is, Oh Little Town of Bethlehem. Okay. Some of you are one for one. Some of you already hate this game. Okay. <laughs> Second one. Here we go. Senior Flattened by a Cloven Aviator. All right. So you're like, I got that one. You feel smart. Excellent. It is grandma got run over by a reindeer. Okay. Here we go. Number three, planetary jubilance. Planetary jubilance. And some of you are like, I don't know these words at all, let alone the song title. Planetary jubilance. It is joy to the world. All right. Some of you are three for three. Others keep trying. Number four. The Covert Observation of Matriarch's Scandalous Osculation. What song title is that? I'm not even going to read it a second time. You can just look up there and figure out what song that is. Maybe you have it. It is I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. All right. 
There you go. You see it. See, it's just right there in front of you. And then here is the fifth and final one. Commencement of Yuletide complexion. Commencement of Yuletide complexion. I'll give you a thought. Waiting. Thinking. The answer is, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. All right, so... As we took those different words, it was a lot of fun or it was really frustrating depending on whether you knew the answer or not. I don't even know who won. I think we got like 20 uh, questions and I think the high was about five. So most of us did not do very well. But as I think about Christmas songs, one Christmas song that has become more popular in the recent years really is this song, What Child Is This? And the theme of the song focuses on Jesus as a baby, but who exactly is he? And in the original lyrics, we read of a baby who is resting on Mary's lap. We see angels who are telling shepherds about him. We see the baby in a humble situation with animals all around. He is the king of kings who is bringing salvation. He is the word. He is for everyone, and we should praise him. As Christians, everything about Christmas centers on Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. Family, they can be great. And who doesn't love giving or receiving meaningful gifts? Participation in traditions, whether they're serious or they're goofy, they can be a blast. But it all should come back to the foundation of Jesus. Like even in Scripture, we read of angels speaking to Mary and Joseph to tell them what is about to happen. We read of a trip that Mary and Joseph take because of a census. There are angels speaking to shepherds. There's magi or wise men coming who have followed a star. There's even an evil king who ends up killing babies. And oral traditions have added in a donkey for Mary to ride on or an innkeeper saying that there is no room at the inn or even animals in a stable. And those things may be true. They may not be as well. And yet, none of this happens without Jesus being born. Without Jesus coming to earth, there's no message needed to be portrayed to the parents, to the shepherds. There's no reason for a star to direct the wise men. There's no reason for Herod to kill all the kids under two. And the journey to Bethlehem, it doesn't become one that's special, and therefore it doesn't end up getting recorded. You see, it really is all about Jesus. He came to earth in human form. But even in that setting, he was a baby, an infant that couldn't do anything for himself. And over the next three weeks, as we take a look at one aspect of this Christmas story, we are going to focus on Jesus. And as we do, we're going to answer this question to the song, what child is this? Now, obviously, there's no way that we can cram everything about him into three sermons, but in our journey, we're going to focus on one little act that played out, and it's found in Matthew chapter 2. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up there. If you have a device, you can, you can turn it to Matthew chapter 2, because in this instance, we see that there are these men that after being told by Herod's teachers of the law where they're supposed to look for this child, they leave Herod and they head to Bethlehem. This visit of the Magi, these wise men we're looking at. And so if you're there in chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 9. And this is what is recorded for us. 
After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, these magi, they were probably magicians or astrologers, or maybe the best way to accurately put it is that they were scholars that probably came from Persia or Babylon, and maybe they had even been influenced by the Jewish captivity so many years earlier when Daniel and others had been in the land. These men, they come to a house, and they see Mary and the child. In fact, the Greek word there for child is one that can mean infant, but more oftentimes it means young child. And so seeing him, they bow in reverence and worship to him. And then they give him three gifts. And I'm not sure if you've ever noticed, but the text doesn't actually tell us there were only three magi. That comes about because of the three gifts that were given. But we are told what those three gifts are. It's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And what's really interesting is that each one of those three gifts given, they represent who Jesus was. Gold was often given as a gift to a king of which Jesus was. Frankincense was given showing that he was a priest. Myrrh was offered since he would offer himself as a sacrifice and die as our Savior. Now, listen to me clearly on this. Did the Magi know these things about Jesus and therefore give him those exact gifts? It's a possibility. Could God have guided the men to give those gifts to Jesus and they not know those aspects about him? Absolutely. Is there a chance that God didn't direct them to give those gifts? And that the Magi, they didn't know this significance and something, this is just what preachers kind of make up to have kind of a cool point? Like, it's a possibility of that as well. And so I tell you, as I'm standing up here on stage, that it's not biblical truth that these men knew the gifts were foreshadowing, but it doesn't make the truth any less true. Jesus is king. Jesus is priest. And he is our savior. And this morning, we're going to zero in on this idea of him being king. Like, what exactly does that mean? What does that look like? And what does that mean for us as we live our lives in the year 2021? Because though the message of Christ has been around for thousands of years, it is still just as relevant and meaningful for us today as when it was first spoken. And so let's begin here, that Jesus is a king. Jesus is a king. And that's not a title that we typically tie into Jesus as much as some other titles. Like maybe we use that Jesus is Savior, or he is Lord, or he is teacher, he is love, he is my friend. But it is biblically true that he is a king as well. And I wonder if we don't think about that quite as much because we don't connect with the term king quite as much as other terms. Like when it comes to rulers, we're used to having presidents with other branches to help him rule or prime ministers in parliaments. Maybe we read about kings in fairy tales or we even know of other kingdoms that have been run by a king. But we ourselves have not been ruled in that way in quite a while. A king, he has absolute power to say what happens, whether that's rules or alliances or even what happens to an individual. 
He has legislative and executive and judiciary and economic and military powers that are all under his authority. There is no voting him out of office. His rule, which has to provide leadership in so many ways, can easily lead to tyranny if the king is not careful. And if you don't like something he does, well, you don't have any power to change it. Your opinion really doesn't matter. You don't have rights that we speak about oftentimes in our country. The only way to get rid of the king was to overthrow him, whether it was by revolt or another country coming in to overtake him. And many rebellions have been snuffed out and those who were involved killed as an example to other people of what would happen if you don't obey the king. And Jesus, he is king. He has absolute power. The kingdom he reigns over is not a democracy. And though the Magi, they may not have exactly known what they would find as they were looking, they were looking for a king. If you look back in Matthew chapter 2 that we've been in, verses 1 and 2, listen to what it says. As Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. Like maybe they were expecting a child born into a military type family. Like maybe they were expecting a rich family. Maybe they didn't have any expectations other than the idea that he was born into this title, that he would be king. But from the very first moment that they saw him, they conducted themselves in a way as he is king. Even though he was baby or a young child, they gave him reverence, they gave him worship, and they gave him gifts. And later, throughout his ministry, Jesus spoke of his kingdom and his father's kingdom. You cannot have a kingdom unless you are a king. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, above his head read a sign that said, King of the Jews. And though it was put there in jest, it stated truth. Jesus is a king. But this truth shouldn't have been a surprise because Jesus as king was foretold. Jesus as king was foretold. I love hearing people talk about stories or they're watching movies where you don't know what's going to happen until the very end. So it draws you in and you are like on the edge of your seat waiting to see what is going to happen. And so maybe is this character who they really say they are or the things that they said they've done, they've claimed they've done, did they really do that? Or is this airplane crash on an island or is it really like the afterlife? And so you watch it for six seasons trying to figure out the end and then the final episode comes and you're still just as confused and... Well, I don't like that part, okay? But here's the thing. Jesus being a king for, was foretold. And so that part shouldn't have been a surprise. The Jews, they had waited to see who this Messiah king was going to be because they didn't know his name, but they did know about him. And oftentimes, when we use the word prophecy to describe what's uh, from the scriptures, we talk about what's going to happen in the future. When really the idea of truth-telling is actually the meaning that is more often used of that word prophecy. But it can speak to future events. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, God is talking with David, and he tells him, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. 
And God isn't just speaking of the kings of Judah that would continue until they were overtaken by Babylon, though that did happen. But he was speaking of a kingdom that will continue to last forever. And in both Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3, we read of genealogies that show Jesus came from the line of David, just as Scripture had promised. And this is what is pointed out to Herod when he inquires about this new king in our Matthew passage. In chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, it says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. You see, we are told a king who will rule will come from David's lineage. And Jesus is king. He was foretold. So it shouldn't have been a surprise, but here's what confused a lot of the Jews, that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is not of this world. Like Jesus was this foretold king, and many Jews believed in him, and they witnessed him have authority over sickness and over demons and even over nature. Like he healed so many people. He calmed storms with a word. He sent demons to flee into a herd of pigs. And the people, they were ready for him to use that power to help Israel overthrow Rome. Like they would no longer be slaves. Oh, it's been 400 years of silence, but it's almost over. The years of oppression, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. But then, when Jesus is arrested, he doesn't fight back. And he doesn't say much in these Jewish trials and people are starting to try to figure out and put the, pu- the puzzle pieces together. And then when Jesus is standing before Pilate, there's still not a lot of words that he says, but he does speak of being a king. In John 18, 36, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. And this wasn't the first time that Jesus ever spoke like this. Phrases like, don't store up treasures here on earth, or the kingdom of heaven is like, can be heard quite often. And even when Jesus is arrested, he tells his followers, don't you see that I could call down angels to protect me if I wanted to? Jesus is a king of a very real kingdom. And though we get to see aspects of his kingdom here on this earth, we will one day witness the fullness of that kingdom. But why does all this really matter to us today? Well, it's because we are his subjects. You and I, we are his subjects. If Jesus is a king of a kingdom and we learn that he is king above all kings, that absolutely no rebellion has a chance to overthrow him, then we must decide where our allegiance lies. Every single one of us, we've been given free will here on this earth to decide, are we going to accept him as king or will we reject him? Like you cannot simply ignore him, though a lot of people today try to do that. In your life, he either becomes king or he doesn't. And if you choose to believe the truth that he is king, that makes us his servants, his subjects. And again, we don't picture ourselves as that too often. More, we go to this idea that we are sons and daughters in a family, or we are followers of a teacher, or we are someone who has been cleansed of sin, and all of that is still 100% true. 
But it is also true that we are servants to a king. He has the right to rule over us. Like we don't deserve to have our voices heard. However, however, a wonderful truth about him is that he is a good king. In fact, he is a perfect king. And his desire is for us. He's not a tyrant who doesn't care about or doesn't listen to his people. In fact, his desire for us is the entire reason that he set his kingly rights aside and he came to earth so that he could be with us, Emmanuel, and so that he could save us when we needed saving. Like those truths, they make it easier to follow this king, that he's not a king who only looks out for himself. And so in moments that we don't want to obey, because we all have those, or maybe in those moments that we want to do our own thing or we want to enjoy something, we need to look closely and figure out why is it we're choosing this over his ways, over the king's ways. And so often, it's because of selfishness. Like our eyes are gazed upon us instead of upon him. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And when we seek to adjust our lives to his authority, we receive his blessings and benefits. The king, he will provide for you. He will watch over you. The king will bring about justice. He will put all things in subjection to him. And you and I can rest in him, knowing that all this chaos that we see in the world will one day be put to complete order. You see, in his kingdom, there will only be joy and happiness and peace and righteousness and wisdom. But since we haven't seen the fullness of that here on this earth, we long for the return of the king. We long to see him because of who he is and what he has done. The question is asked, what child is this? He is a king. Yes, he came as human, even as a baby, but he is the king that deserves every bit of our respect and honor that we can give to him. Which leads us to the final truth, that he will rule forever. He will rule forever. And if you wanted to quote squints from the sandlot, this would be the time that you would just say, forever, you know, over and over again. But when you look at Scripture, there are so many passages that talk about Jesus' everlasting domain. And in one of the most descriptive passages, talking about our king, John writes these words in the book of Revelation chapter 19. He says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges, and he wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. With his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and they were dressed in fine linen, white and clean. 
Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has written this name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This king is not to be trifled with. He will not be a passive ruler. He will rule with a rod of iron, with strength, with absolute power and justice and goodness. Those who reject him will feel his wrath. None can stand against him. He will bring complete and final justice to the earth. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings. He is the high king, the Lord of lords, the ruler of rulers, and on the day he returns, Every knee will bow. Not just every knee that claimed him to be king, but every knee will bow. There will be no second guessing who is in charge. And once justice is carried out, there will be a joy that cannot be matched by anything else. Because at that point, the fullness of perfection will be experienced again. And each of us will know love in a way that we cannot understand it right now. A great king that cares about his servants, and he even calls them family. A king that has complete authority and will rule for all time. A king that humbled himself and became one of us so that he could first come near, but then ultimately could rescue you. That's a king that I want to follow. That's a king that I want to serve. And so who are you following? Maybe it's a celebrity. Maybe it's a way of life. Maybe there are idols in your life. Maybe it's even our own selfish desires. But none of those are deserving of you bowing your knee to. But Jesus is. Jesus is. The Magi, they came offering gold for a king along with worship. And as a servant, are you offering him everything? Are you doing your best to live totally for the king? If you've never accepted him, you've never chosen to make him the king of your life, you've never chosen to be on his side, you can do that today. We have people standing at the decision point that would love to help you with that decision. But the great king is waiting And one day we will get to see him again. And so what are you waiting for? If you have a decision to make, then head to the decision point as we all stand and we sing.